Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for spending time with me today. And happy Valentine's Day. My program is uh, all set for you. I planned it, and it is uh, all uh, looks really good, full of love. That's what I got to say. Rob Blue is going to join me in just a minute, and then Dr. Alex McFarland is going to come on the program. I'm going to ask him all about 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That's the love chapter. And then Jeff Redorn is in hour two. We're going to discuss about the next uh, time we see Jesus, which will be the rapture. So that's the program for today. Rob Bluey is, you know, the executive editor at the Daily Signal. Rob, welcome. Thanks, Bill. It's good to be back with you today. Thanks. Thank you. Now, uh, happy anniversary to the Heritage Foundation. They just celebrated 50 years. Do I have that right? That's correct. 2023 is our 50th anniversary. Thursday is the big day, actually, Bill. So you're you're a little bit ahead of time, but no okay. problem there. And uh, yeah, <laughs> What happens on Thursday? Well, what happens on Thursday is uh, is the fact that was the day that we were incorporated and actually okay. founded, but we're going to have a big staff celebration uh, for the team and thank everybody who's contributed. But the big, uh, the, the big event will actually be in April when the weather's a little bit nicer and we're going to have an event at Mount Vernon, George Washington's Mount Vernon, and also at the Gaylord National Hotel uh, across the river in Maryland. So uh, we'll have a lot of keynote speeches. We're really seeing this as an opportunity to bring together the conservative movement at a time when it seems that not only are Republicans and Democrats divided, but it seems even conservatives can't agree on much. And so we know we're going into a competitive presidential race. Uh, a new candidate uh, is is going to be announcing tomorrow, which we can get into uh, in a little bit. Uh, and there, But there are a lot of common themes uh, emerging. And the conservative movement is a lot different today than it was 50 years ago. We've responded mm-hmm. to some new challenges, and there have been obviously changes in our society that have required us to do so. And so we're looking at uh, at this as an opportunity to put forward policy solutions and figure out where we're going next. Mm-hmm. Very interesting article at DailySignal.com that talks about the ways in which conservatives are lamenting the many ways in which the U.S. welfare system discourages marriage and family formation. I would love for you to say more about that. Well, thank you. And state-level pre- preschool programs contain penalties that discourage marriage. That's yeah, it's it, it, absolutely. So, I mean, this is this is not a new issue. This has been an issue that we've been confronting since the Great Society of the 1960s, when many of these programs uh, were were initially put in place, and you know, uh, I, I I think, you know, done intentionally so, uh, because this is what, uh, what what the people who were writing the policies in, intended to happen. They did not like the fact that churches were serving as, as the, you know, the primary care caregiver for uh, many families. And what happened was you started to see an erosion of, of marriage as both tax policies and, and other sorts of requirements that were put in place by the federal government to get welfare uh, began to emerge. And so today we have a system that discourages marriage. And we need, Bill, you and I both know that marriage is so crucial uh, to combating so many of the ills that that we face today. Um, And whether that be 
you know, out of wedlock births or, you know, single parents who struggle to get by, uh, you know, people who, um, uh, you know, can cannot find good schools and neighborhoods for their kids, and it leads them down, to, you know, a, to a to a path of poverty themselves. Uh, there, there are just so many factors that that go into this. And so, one of the things that we've done at the Heritage Foundation, or our scholars are attempting to do in terms of working with members of Congress, is to make some of these changes to make sure that marriage is first and foremost one of the priorities that we emphasize with families. Um, we also know that there are there's this idea called the success sequence in which there are a few things that if an individual were to do it, they can significantly reduce their um, the likelihood of them falling into poverty. And, and that's number one, graduating high school and number two, getting a job and number three, getting married before you have kids. And if you do those three things, mm-hmm. graduating high school, getting a job, getting married, your chances of being successful in life improve markedly. So, you know, we just need to be preaching that message and uh, trying to influence a policy, including welfare policy, uh, to make sure that that sticks. So if you're a single mother and you uh, send your child to preschool, you can uh, oftentimes have that free of charge. But if uh, if you were to get married, they would eliminate that benefit, even if you're marrying a man of equal or even lower income status. That's so, that's right. Well, obviously, we want to help people and, and give them the very best advantage. But it seems that in this case, uh, that family would have been punished for getting married. Well, that, that that's right. And... Uh, this is this is again where I think the government in interfering. I mean, our my former boss, uh, who you've had on the show, Kay Coles James, uh, spoke about this really directly because she saw it growing up in in a poor neighborhood in Richmond, Virginia, where the community itself and the churches took responsibility for caring for their you know the kids in their neighborhood. And when the government stepped in and started to create these incentives or these state subsidized preschool programs. You know, this is when we started to see some of these challenges, and and you mentioned a, a big one: <laughs> the fact that um, if if a, a woman were to marry a man, uh, she would start to she would she would not be able to um, get as much in, in a welfare check as as she would otherwise. And so, mm-hmm. Bill, it's it's a big um, big big problem, and it's one of those issues that I think hopefully we can get Republicans and Democrats to come together on because we have enough data and we've seen the consequences of this now. I mean, we we've been living with the Great Society for sixty years or, or, or so. I mean, mm-hmm. it is uh, it is a failure in in so many regards. The the trillions of dollars we've spent on welfare programs and the fact that we still have so much uh, so, so many you know people living in poverty in the United States. Now there have been improvements. Let me let me you know not not suggest that it were in a, the situation quite as dire as we maybe were in the 1960s, but I think that the fact that so many single mothers are struggling, so many um, uh, families are are being broken up because of these policies, that is not a good thing and we need to get our arms around it. Mm-hmm. Rob Louie is my guest. He's the executive director at the Daily Signal. If you have a question for Rob, please text it over 877-933-2484. I don't keep up to uh, date with news like I once did. So if you have a question, I would love for you to ask it. But uh, still staying on this topic, Rob, uh, at the Daily Signal, uh, there's an article that says, in Arizona, Louisiana, and Ohio, a single mother of two making $45,000 per year can receive free preschool, while a couple each making 28000 per year must pay the full cost, which is as much as $10,000 uh, 
uh, per year. So um, again, it, it it does not seem to make a lot of sense all the time. It, it, it doesn't. And, and I think that for, for your listeners who are thinking, you know, nothing gets done in Washington and you, know, you and I can talk about uh, these policies and, and you know, uh, the lawmakers are just going to continue to squabble and focus on other other things. Some of these can be addressed at the state level. And for instance, you just gave some examples about state specific examples. So oftentimes I think we can get things done at a local or state level where there might be gridlock in Washington, D.C. So uh, to those listeners out there who want to take action, I mean, there are things in your own local community that you can do by contacting uh, your state uh, senator, state representative and uh, and ask them to take a look at this. Mm-hmm. All right, Rob, economists are, are blaming uh, Republicans and Democrats for their overspending. And the federal government now has revised inflation numbers and they're on the they're on the upward uh, direction. Yeah, we woke up this morning to the new consumer price index numbers. Uh, not good news at all for those of us who have been hoping that inflation was going to come down. In fact, it seems like it went in the exact wrong direction again for the month of January. Uh, it was 6.4% over the last 12 months uh, and 0.5% for the month of January. So that just shows that uh, we are still confronting uh, this serious problem. And many of the household staples that uh, that we eat uh, or that we use to just get by on a day-to-day basis are significantly higher today than they were uh, when when President Biden took office. Eggs are up 229 percent. Mm. Uh, so anybody wow. who's, who's purchased eggs recently knows that, you know, they're they're running about five dollars for uh, for a, for a dozen eggs. Uh, butter is up 31 percent. Flour, 33 percent. Gas is up almost 50 percent. It's 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 increasing. You know, the numbers are going up lately again, Bill. And then, you know, the thing that I think really has a devastating impact on those who are less well off uh, we were just talking about, uh, you know, people who might be on welfare. Um, home heating oil is up 87%. Natural gas is up 57%. And electricity costs are up almost 24%. I, I, I know that, you know, for those who, um, you know, enjoy a, you know, higher compensation, better income, they might not feel the effects of heating their home in the winter. But if you're struggling to get by, uh, you know, you're probably not turning that thermostat up, and you know it's it's cold in places here in the United States, and it's uh, it's have, having its effect. So yeah, inflation has real. We, we talk about it in Washington D.C. as as a, as policies and reducing spending, but in in um, the rest of America, you know, there are real life consequences, and people are having to make some big uh, choices in terms of how they get by on a day to day basis. And, you know, Bill, it starts uh, with with getting both Republicans and Democrats to stop spending as much as they have been. There's an opportunity coming up as we talk about the president's budget and what Republicans in the House put forward in their budget. Uh, I think it'll be a good contrast. President Biden talked about it last week in his State of the Union. We'll see if he's actually serious about uh, reducing the deficit. Mm-hmm. Rob Louie's my guest. If you have a question for Rob, send it over on the text line. It's open just for you, 877-933-2484. As we head into break, Rob, the first question I have is, how's the puppy doing? Ah, yes. So do you want me to do that now or after? Yeah, break? do it now. 
Oh, the puppy is doing doing very well. About eighteen months old, and uh, <laughs> and keeping us on our on our toes. Uh, you know, we we go through these phases where you know the kids are the ones that, of course, wanted the puppy. So we have to remind them every so often that they're the ones that need to be walking the dog, <laughs> not mom and dad all the time. But no, the puppy uh, whose name is is Liberty, and we nicknamed her Libby, is uh, doing very well and uh, brings a lot of joy to our family. That's outstanding. All right, we'll take a short break and be right. Back with Rob Bluey, executive editor at The Daily Signal. Again, if you have a question for Rob, 877-933-2484. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome to the show. So glad to be talking to Rob Louie. He's the executive editor at The Daily Signal. And Rob, last time I think we chatted, we talked about this uh, police officer from Georgia, this Jacob Kirby. And he, uh, I think, he, I don't know what his condition, if he's been fired, but I did see something that they said about uh, him speaking on his personal Facebook platform. He gets to kind of say what he wants, uh, but apparently they they said that he cannot... Uh, say anything about his interpretation or opinion on scripture if it's deemed offensive. It's right. It's one of those issues where you're left scratching your head and and wondering what what, um, these this department was thinking when it when it took the action. So yeah, just to give your listeners the backstory, uh, it's. it's a Georgia police department and uh, the city of uh, Wentworth, and they have decided to uh, uh, suspend, uh, so fire Jacob Kersey, who, who, who ended up resigning uh, because of the backlash that he faced for posting, posting his personal biblical view of marriage uh, on Facebook. And the First Liberty Institute, which is a legal organization, has decided to take up the case and they are going to, to represent him. He's a, a 19-year-old police officer. Um, he wrote, God designed marriage. Marriage refers to Christ and the church. That's why there is no such thing as homosexual marriage. And uh, we've been tracking the story very closely uh, because we think that, you know, cases like this where individuals are discriminated against in their, in their employment because of their personal views uh, need exposure. And we, uh, we should not live in a society where, where individuals like this gentleman are, are canceled so easily. Um, and so I, I certainly don't know where the case will go, Bill, but I'm glad to see that he has legal representation. He's asking the police department to issue an apology, and uh, he's not backing down. He's, um, you know, he is uh, steadfast in his beliefs, on, and, uh, and, and rightly so, I mean, I shall say. I mean, he is entitled to those beliefs regardless of what occupation he has. Right. Has he been getting time on uh, news TV programs? 
he he is. He's getting some uh, additional attention beyond the Daily Signal, which is a, a good sign. It's always helpful, I think, you know, for individuals like this to try to make sure that they have uh, the court of public opinion in addition to the court of uh, law uh, as a, as a venue to to air um, their opinions. And uh, and in this particular case, I think that it's it's significant and important because I think so often individuals when they might encounter a situation like this fear the spotlight. They don't want to speak out. They don't want to tell their story. Uh, they worry about their family facing other consequences. And, uh, and an individual like this, um, you know, has, has certainly decided that he's going to endure what inevitably is the, the backlash on social media and other platforms where, you know, he will find people who vehemently disagree with his views and, and use it as an opportunity to demean him. But, uh, but he's not backing down. Mm-hmm. Rob, here's a question from uh, a listener. Just a few days ago, I heard that they were using thermal cameras to search for signs of life in the rubble from the earthquake in Turkey and Syria. Why did it take so long to get those cameras in use? It's a good question. You know, and it, there's so many miracles coming out of uh, Syria and Turkey uh, after the the earthquake, and and to see the story yesterday um, about the the mother who gave birth uh, to a baby, um, you know, and the mother ended up unfortunately dying, um, God rest her soul, but you know, the, the baby survived, you know, so uh, there are so many opportunities like this. I I don't know specifically why it took so long other than the fact that, you know, some of these, uh, these parts of Syria and Turkey probably, you know, are, are not equipped with the kind of technology that certainly we have in the United States. But um, yeah, just just devastating. As we talked about last week, Bill, you know, this is an area of the world that has been so ravaged by by war and violence. Uh, you know, to have this on uh, happen on top of it, I mean, it just must be devastating for the people living there. But you know, they uh, they're they're finding a way. And uh, and uh, again, uh, as we can highlight some of these positive stories that come out, I, I think it's a good opportunity for us to do so. I appreciate that. I love a good positive story. All right. Rob, I, I've not kept in touch, so I don't know what has happened uh, in China since that balloon got shot down. Has there been any additional news to report as a result of that? We're still trying to get some more information. It's it's frustrating that it's taking the Department of Defense and, and others uh, as long as it is to to share information now. There there obviously was the, the balloon that crossed over from Alaska, went through Canada, down through, it was you know, spotted in Montana by that, that news photographer, and it made all its all, well, all the way down to South Carolina. Uh, frustrating, as I said last week, uh, that it was not um, uh, addressed sooner. I, I, I understand that, that President Biden has his reasoning for why he decided to wait until it reached the Atlantic Ocean, but uh, who knows how much data it was able to collect on our military bases and other sensitive uh, spots in the United States uh, as it was traversing over the country. Uh, since then, we've had three other uh, unidentified objects that uh, that have been shot down. Uh, we, we know that I think that one of them was just a balloon, just a regular balloon. So, you know, I, I think that there's a heightened sensitivity to objects that uh, might be spotted in, in the skies these days. Uh, but, you know, the troubling thing, Bill, is it's, it appears that China or other countries may have been using this as, as types of surveillance long before this first one was spotted. And so I, 
I think the American people des deserve more answers. We uh, can't expect the Chinese to come clean and tell the truth. And so hopefully our own government can come forward and explain what exactly is going on here. And uh, and for anybody who who buys the reasoning that this was just a, a weather balloon, uh, you know, needs to come to the realization that China is not our friend and they were very likely using this for malicious purposes. Mm -hmm. Rob Louie is my guest. Uh, Rob, when it comes to getting hired by the federal government, are the rules changing as to how they vet people? Yeah, well, uh, you know, it's it, it is uh, it, it is interesting, and and I'll I'll say two things on this, Bill. Um, for number one, you 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 and your listeners have probably heard of things terms like the deep state or the administrative state. I mean, there has is no doubt, you know, been efforts on the part of of the the political left or the progressives to make sure that uh, the federal government had its, its you know, share of, of workers uh, who were aligned with, uh, with that particular point of view. And so it's, uh, it's not surprising that this administration is <laughs> essentially, as my colleague Hans von Spakovsky said, putting up a virtual conservatives need not apply sign uh, when it comes to the federal civil service. They, they want to protect that entity, President Trump, did a lot to try to make some reforms. And so there's this office called the um, Office of Personnel Management. It's essentially the human resources department of the federal government. And it's proposing changes in the federal register that uh, would uh, change the personnel vetting and uh, process for, for getting hired. And so if you're going through that process of, of trying to get a job in the federal government, uh, you know, just be mindful that they want to make changes uh, to how that is going to happen. There are a significant number of roles that um, that even when the presidency changes and everything else, you know, these people stay in power. And uh, we heard so many stories from the Trump administration, how they undermined the Republicans who came into office as cabinet secretaries or other political positions. And so they have significant power uh, in terms of shaping policies and how the rules are written. Mm hmm. Question from a listener, Rob. Why are people in the U.S. not concerned about the World Economic Forum? Our Canadian friends are way more concerned. Uh, well, I, I think we should be concerned. And I've heard other uh, radio hosts like Glenn Beck talking about it to his audience, particularly in the context of ESG, that's Environmental Social Governance Rules. And they are attempting to impose these on uh, United States companies, and and some are adopting them voluntarily. Uh, we will we we fear that we could soon have social credit scores like they use in China. Uh, we're already seeing individuals lose access to their bank accounts or unable to get loans, depending on the type of business they're in. And so, the World Economic Forum is is largely responsible for this, and they're responsible for something known as the Great Reset. And so, Bill, I I think it is absolutely something that we need to pay attention to. And the thing is, you can just go and look at the World Economic Forum's policies themselves. I mean, they spell it right out. Uh, it's not its not anything that, that requires a lot of investigating. Uh, check out Klaus Schwab and everything that he's saying, and you'll see what their agenda is. Mm -hmm. So it's time for one more quick question from a listener. We owe China a little over a trillion dollars with the issues with them. What happens if they call our debt? Yeah, it, it's, it's a big concern. I mean, I think it's why we need to have a China-resistant economy here in the United States where we, were, we are not so dependent. We saw 
you know, not only is is the debt a big concern, but look at what happened at the beginning of COVID when we were uh, without the, the the PPE and the other <laughs> needs. Uh, we have so many pharmaceuticals that are manufactured in China. Uh, you know, there are are a number of different concerns that that I have personally as uh, tensions rise with China about what they might be able to do. And so that's why we need to make it a top priority, Bill. And we need to recognize China for what it what it is, and it's an adversary, not a competitor. Yeah, thank you. Rob Bluey, once again, I always appreciate you being on the show and, and my listeners appreciate you as well. Th- thank you so much and have a great rest of the day. Thanks, Bill. You too. You bet. Rob Bluey's been my guest. He is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. It's the arm of the Heritage Foundation celebrating their 50th anniversary this week. We'll take a break and we'll be right back with Dr. Alex McFarland. agree that change is a constant thing. Everything seems to change all the time. It could be relationships or jobs or your uh, finances. Uh, in this world, we do know one thing that doesn't ever, ever change, and that is God's love for us. And yet we live in a very uh, strange world when it comes to love and how people define love and talk about love. And I think uh, there's no better time to talk about God's true love than it is today with my friend, Dr. Alex McFarland. Uh, you can always learn more about him at alexmcfarland.com. Alex, hi. How are you? Hello, Bill. How are you? I'm good. I think it would be kind of interesting to jump into what God says about love today. And I think we can find that in 1 Corinthians 13. Oh, my word. That's a great chapter. It is, <laughs> yes. And it is indeed. Uh, the, the biblical concept of love, because yeah. uh, today everybody's talking about love, but often the the emotions and just the, uh, frankly, lusts and desires that that a fallen world associates with love. That's not necessarily the biblical definition of love. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I think about this. John fifteen thirteen, the Lord said, "Greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends." And the uh, great Christian thinker Augustine, he basically defined Christian love, biblical love, as to seek the highest good of another. That that's love to seek the highest good for another person. That's true love. Mm-hmm. So if we open up our Bibles to First Corinthians thirteen, starting in verse four, we can go through this beautiful list, and it starts with love is patient. And I love that you can control yourself by delaying an action because you are going to be patient. You're going to be waiting patiently. You're going to be um, having patience, and that's a beautiful aspect of true love. Well, it really is. And, um, you know, very often in relationships, people try to do what they want to do or get what they want to get. And, do you know, it says there in uh, 1 Corinthians 13 that love does not seek its own thing. This is verse 5 of 1 Corinthians. Love does not seek her own. Um, You know, there have been many... 
relationships where the guy was trying to pressure the girl into premarital sex and sometimes vice versa. You know, um, there have been times where people are trying to leverage and manipulate and control. Biblically, that's not love. In the biblical sense, love always involves selflessness, not Mm -hmm. selfishness, and service, uh, not being served. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, Bill, I, I applaud you on this day where the world talks about love ostensibly. Thank you, Bill, for calling us back to the biblical model of what true love really is. Well, there's a lot of confusion about what love is, and I think it's important to go right back to what Scripture teaches. And um, so there is love is patient, love is kind. Um, So to be kind is an action. So if you are loving, you are taking action. You are not just appearing pleasant, but you are taking action by being kind. Yeah, exactly. And do you know the Bible talks about how, you know, kindness, covers a multitude of sins, love covers a multitude of sins. But um, I like this where it says that um, love believes all things. Uh, In verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, I I looked this up one time, Bill, because, you know, it doesn't just mean that we're gullible, Mm -hmm. uh, believes all things. Oh, well, I, you know, believe... um, you know, whatever. Uh, It doesn't mean gullible, but what it literally means is thinks the best of somebody unless proven otherwise. And, uh, Bill, I've counseled many husbands and wives and families, and sometimes in the the rigors of life, people lose their intentionality with love. And it's almost like husbands and wives can play gotcha with each other. It's like, you never do what I need. You never fulfill your promises. You always do this wrong. No, real love tries to believe the best about people and doesn't keep a record of wrongs. That's mm-hmm. in First Corinthians 13. And when it says believes all things and bears and endures and hopes all things, love doesn't give up on a person, you know? And mm-hmm. um, now I know from a human inclination, we say, well, yeah, but... This person is, has hurt my feelings for the last time. Well, Jesus doesn't give up on us, and, and certainly we, we fail the Lord many times, and his love is unconditional, and his love is constant. And I know that we, to try to show this type of love to others, humanly we can't do it in our own strength. I mean, we need the Holy Spirit to do that. But fortunately, that's exactly what the Lord will do in our lives if we allow him the Holy Spirit will give us the strength to love like Jesus loves. Mm -hmm. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. You can learn more about Alex at alexmcfarland.com. So love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy. Uh, Do you ever talk to anybody that says, you know, I'm really envious of, do they ever express it that way? Or are they more inclined to say uh, something kind of mean about a person, but deep down they really envy them? Yeah, I think so. I've heard it expressed this way sometimes, Bill. They'll say, uh, you know, so-and-so is so lucky. You know, I've worked really hard, and, you know, (laughs) so-and-so over here, they just, they they fall backward into success all the time. And and there's this implication that they didn't work for it like I did. They didn't earn it like I had to earn it. 
they don't deserve it like I deserve it. And if we if we feel that way, if we're sort of grousing, uh, it's jealousy. I mean, really, um, all of us, we what, whatever we have, we have it because the, the Lord has blessed us. Um, now, I do think God honors diligence and hard work and being proactive and being very intentional. But but here's the thing about uh, let's talk about marriages for a second. And and I really think this is genius what Dr. Gary Chapman came up with back in 1968 called the five love languages. Uh, Bill, have you ever had Gary Chapman on your program? Oh, many times. Yeah. Yeah, many He's times. Just, I, I can tell you he is a personal friend. We live about 30 miles apart. He's in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, been a part of the, the same church for 50-plus years. And I see him at the airport all the time because he's always on his way to go speak somewhere, and sure. so am I. And and I can tell you he is the real deal. And he said to me, uh, I had him on a radio show just a couple of months ago, right before Christmas, and he said, basically— Almost virtually any marriage can be helped, if not saved, if you will know your spouse's love language and speak to it. And the, the love languages are like words of affirmation, acts of service, physical touch, gift giving, and quality time. Mm-hmm. Now, most men, the language they speak in is like gift giving, but wives that they want two things. They want acts of service and quality time. And husbands, now, wives might assume, oh, well, the love language he wants is physical touch. Even above that, the love language that most men, 90% plus of men, men crave, is words of affirmation. So I was, I was counseling a couple, Bill, and the wife said, well, my husband is not worthy of respect. I can't show him words of respect because he's not respectable. And I said, well, that's why it's called grace. (laughs) Uh, I mean, Mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. um, Show uh, appreciation. Extend respect and watch. And, and of course, I'm I'm assuming there's going to be prayer and you're, you're really trying with God's help to save your marriage or help your marriage. But I said, here's the thing. You show respect and affirmation and gratitude and watch your husband. Partly he'll rise to the a challenge and partly God will change your own heart. Men, be selfless. Turn off that TV. Stop the fantasy football and video games. Give your wife quality time. Give your wife acts of service. Pick up that laundry. Get those chores finished that she's asked you for about six months. You know, Mm -hmm. and if you and Dr. Chapman is right, if you know your partner's love language and you speak to it, watch your marriage be transformed. Mm. So good, Alex. All right, let's move on to the next one, which is love does not boast. And I I'm always thinking that's a tricky one because there's uh, everybody lives in this uh, look at me world right now with all of their uh, self-promotion and everything else. And everyone is trying to uh, position themselves as best they can in the Internet world. Um, oh, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? 
Well, you know, in verse 4 there, um, some translations say love does not boast, and some say love does not vaunt itself up. And and we might think, okay, you know, maybe you're very proud of yourself, but just, you know, put a lid on it, right? <laughs> I really think yeah. part of the reason that love doesn't boast is because when you're so busy thinking about Christ and thinking about others, you're not going to be thinking about yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there, there are a lot of things we could boast of. Sometimes people, um, well, well, I'm going to put it this way. Look, everybody in life ha- has these things they're, they're thinking about or hungering for, and it's meaning, purpose, and fulfillment. Meaning is, you know, what does my life count for? And purpose, uh, why am I here? And then fulfillment, what satisfies me? And if you don't find your meaning, purpose, fulfillment in Jesus, um, you're going to find it in some empty things. I've, I've counseled families where, you know, the, the older he gets, the better he was back in high school and college sports. And I've had family, you know, spouse and children say, you know, oh, dad brags about what he did back in the day. And we're, we're so sick of hearing these stories or, you know, somebody is so arrogant that they're always topping each other. It's like any, if anybody says, well, you know what, last summer we went on vacation. Oh yeah. Well, we went there and we, I mean, whatever, we've all been around people that they just, they, it doesn't matter what you say, they, they can top it. Mm-hmm. But in, in true love, I mean, because your your joy is Christ and serving others, you're not always thinking about yourself. And Bill, I'll say this, I'll put it back to you. Some of the most unhappy people that I've ever known are the narcissists. Because here's the thing, and, and actually C.S. Lewis warns about this, that one of the worst parts of hell is that there's nobody there but you. I mean, the aloneness of it. Mm-hmm. That, that's why narcissism and being self-centered is just, it's compounded emptiness. And folks, if you want fulfillment, stop thinking about yourself. <laughs> think about Jesus and look for ways to think about others. And you're not going to have time to be obsessed with yourself. Mm-hmm. So love does not brag or does not puff up, and it certainly does not act obscenely in any way. And it also, love does not demand its own way. And it doesn't become irritable or angry. So that's something I'm working on, the irritable and angry part. Well, you, you've always struck me as a person who clearly manifests the fruits of the Spirit, brother. So oh, I thank, thank you for that. Yeah, well, thank you. Let me take a little break. We're talking to Dr. Alex McFarland. You can always head over to his website, alexmcfarland.com. You can find his books there. He's authored over 20 books and his amazing uh, apologetics and his uh, great writing, alexmcfarland.com. When we come back, we'll keep going through 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter on this love day. Be right back. Thanks for listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm Carmen LeBurge. If you enjoy what you're listening to here, consider subscribing to other great faith radio podcasts like mine. 
Search Mornings with Carmen LaBurge at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts and hit subscribe. Welcome back to the show. God is not confused about love, although many people in this world are, so I'm enjoying going through 1 Corinthians 13 with Dr. Alex McFarlane, and we're going through these famous verses, starting in verse 4, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Um, So I think we'll move on to the next one, Alex, which is it does not dishonor others. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been to, like, dinner with a with a couple and they begin to argue? And I, I'm thinking of a, one night, oh, man, it was so uncomfortable. And the, <laughs> the husband said some incredibly cruel things to his wife in front of others. Yeah. And this is a Christian couple, ostensibly so. And I, I took him out on it in front of everybody. I mean, I, I was, I was, uh, I think, mature about it, but I said, you know, that's not appropriate. Um, when you love somebody, you don't want to humiliate them in front of other people. If anything, you want to rescue them and try to carry them up. Because going back to, uh, you know, verse uh, five, where it says that I'm sorry, verse four bears all things. You 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 don't want to beat somebody down or humiliate them. You want to bear them up and lift mm-hmm. them up. That's that's what love does. Love love helps carry the person who's got a limp, not not shoves them down. Mm-hmm. And the next part of that is it is not self-seeking. And I think I've spoken to counselors, uh, marriage and family counselors, that say. That selfishness is pretty much the key to a lot of the trouble in marriages. Yeah. Well, well, it is. And uh, let me say that relationships get in in dangerous waters when we um, withhold, w- whether it's um, affection or whether it's things that the other person legitimately you know, needs, um, what, helping around the house or helping with the children. Um, and, and men, I've got to say that really the, the shepherd, the, the pastor of the home, the priest of the home is to be the husband. And, uh, guys, so much really is dependent on, on us because like the, the biblical role, okay, Fathers, you know, provide for the family and the children. That's First Corinthians 12. And uh, there's nurture and discipline. The, the mothers uh, are very much managing the home, raising the children and motherhood. And then children. The Bible has a lot to say about children being obedient to parents. Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3 talk about this. And then even you know, First Timothy five eight, caring for parents in old age, and Bill, I, I think that one of the one of the tragedies of our lifetime has the, has been the way that the world has perverted and distorted family life, because um, the family is such a beautiful thing. Um, Bill, have you ever had? You know, we mentioned uh, Gary Chapman speaking of another great American. Have you ever had Dr. Dobson on? 
No, I have not. Oh, he's great. He, he's great. And Dr. Dobson said that um, it's it's not chains that hold a family together. It's little threads of love, 10,000 little threads, everything from, you know, just a, a, a pat on the back to a smile to family traditions. And he said, when the family operates as God intended, there are no weak links. There's mutual submission, service, uh, sexual fulfillment. Then uh, there's security. The children feel secure because mom and dad's love relationship is as solid as the rock of Gibraltar. And, Bill, my heart does grieve for the state of the family right now. And and I know, look, um, stuff happens. I know that. Uh, and we all, you know... People sometimes say, well, you know, I'm from a dysfunctional family. Well, aren't we all? I mean, we we all are to one degree or another. But God gave us the family because the the family is really a gospel tract. Marriage, husband, wife, and God, that's a trinity. Mom, dad, children, that's a trinity. Grace, forgiveness, unconditional love, a, a sanctuary that is sacred and unshakable. That's the home. I I really do agree with Francis Schaeffer that the family was given by God to prepare our hearts for the gospel. And we, we hear a lot of stats about the, uh, the uh, deplorable state of biblical worldview in America. And, and I've had people ask me, they'll be like, you know, well, you know, if we had stronger churches and better preachers and things like that, and and that's fine. But I'll tell you, Give us, give us a godly family. Make us a nation of Christian homes, and watch everything fall into place and get sorted out. If I could ask God for anything, and there are plenty of things that we need to pray about, but I would say, dear Lord, restore the Christian family. So good, Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. So if we continue, Alex, love is not easily angered and it keeps no records, no record of wrongs. So there's another couple of great pieces of wisdom. Uh, yeah, two words. Uh, as couples, we really uh, should put these phrases out. You always or you never. And it's like, you know, you always let me down. No, not always. Or you never do what you promise. Uh, there's that old saying about, you know, when husbands and wives argue, they become historical. And somebody said, do you mean hysterical? No, historical. I've got this grocery list. All the times you've ever let me down. 20 years ago, you did this. Don't you remember that time you did that? And then there was the time you failed it. No, don't keep a record of wrongs. Mm-hmm. God doesn't. Hey, think about this. Uh, if if the Lord kept a record of our sins, my goodness, we would all be hopeless. But the Lord washes us clean, and our iniquities He remembers no more. Uh, can't we do as much for those around us that we say we love? Mm-hmm. Yes, we can. All right, Alex, just a couple of minutes left. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Yep. Uh, I was just reading Proverbs about uh, how an evil tongue repeats an evil report. 
sometimes it's almost like we, we salivate over somebody doing wrong or messing up because, oh, man, now I've got grounds to really fuss at you. No, we don't do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we don't rejoice in evil. Um, it, it's grace. And we who have sh- been shown grace should be quick to show grace. And, uh, hey, I'm speaking, hey, yeah, a, a pastor, minister, counselor, but I'm also a husband. And, Bill, I'm a recovering knucklehead. <laughs> yeah, I don't know um, if I'm going to agree to that. But, uh, but you know, I look back, and, and I think many, many listening, when you're early in your marriage and you think you know it all, and, oh, my goodness. Um, and I have such a great wife, Angie and I. My wife is Folks, um, look for her up near the throne because she's going to be so close to Jesus and get so many crowns. <laughs> but yeah. as, the longer you live, Bill, isn't it true? It's a it's a delight to show grace. Yeah, it it's, is. It's a joy. I think because if we're honest, we we're cognizant cognizant of how much grace has been shown to us. Mm-hmm. And I, I, when you talk about when we talk about in 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 the thirteenth cha- chapter of first first Corinthians thirteen, where it says right. that uh, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. I love what Paul says in the next chapter in uh, fourteen twenty. He says, "In regards to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults." It says we have to get evil out of our brains and out of our hearts. Amen. Amen. That's kind of like. Lewis said that we need the heart of a child, but the mind of a grown-up. Right, exactly. And uh, a childlike heart. You know, after this magnificent First Corinthians 13, which had coincidentally 13 verses, and now abide of faith, hope, and love, but these, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And then verse 1 of chapter 14 says, follow after charity or love. In other words, pursue it, cultivate it. And and I know some of these, you know, lofty aspirations don't come naturally because, you know, like Paul says in Romans 7, even though, you know, a believer is saved, you know, the, the carnal nature, the flesh doesn't give up without a fight. So when First Corinthians 14.1 says, follow after charity, in other words, pursue it, pursue spiritual growth, be intentional. And uh, I, I want to challenge everybody listening and myself as well to pray and say, Lord Jesus, help me to love like you love. Amen. Help me to rejoice. And um, look, um, sometimes family and relationships require heavy lifting. Sometimes yeah. it's um, it's a burden. But this is what life is for, to yep. love Christ and love others. Thank you so much, brother. Talk to you next Bless time. You. All right. Take a break. and we'll be back with Jeff Ferdorn. Continue our series on Who is This Jesus? Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.